0: in order to see the good in something it's often necessary to consider the downsides of its opposite it's hard to see the good in a relationship a good relationship if you don't know what a bad one looks like and how a bad one could hurt you the same is true with doing more by doing less it's easier to see the power the virtue the impact of doing more by doing less and how good it can be for us if we examine the opposite of it and its failings in other words if we looked at how trying to do more with more all the time can actually be detrimental. That's what this episode is about. We're talking about additive bias. Let's get into it.
1: Most things don't matter, but the few that matter, matter a lot. Welcome to Eighty Twenty Productivity, the show dedicated to helping you do more by doing less so that you can have more time and energy to enjoy life to the fullest. Now here's your host, author, speaker, and productivity nerd, Anthony Sani.
0: It's not very often that I get excited about a particular topic, but when it comes to today's topic of additive bias, I get so excited talking about it because it's one of those concepts that speaks directly to doing more. By doing less. And it does it in a way that shows that doing more by doing less is not about just being lazy and it's not about just trying to get away with doing less. Doing less can actually be an advantage, it can be a strategy that produces better results than trying to do more with more. That's why I find this topic of additive bias so, so interesting. But before we get into it, let me just give you a little bit of a rundown. You know, as we do on these deep dives, we're going to talk about what additive bias is. But specifically, before we can really talk about additive bias in any kind of practical sense, we'll have to get through some definitions. Now, I should point out that the bulk of the information that we're going to cover, the content, the the ideas we're going to cover in this episode, come from a paper from the Frank Batten School of Leadership and Public Policy, the University of Virginia in the USA, and it's titled, People Systematically Overlook Subtractive Changes. Now that title just says it all, but this is going to be the core source of the ideas. Now there's going to be a lot of, there're going to be a lot of other ideas I'm going to pull in from my research and from the experience, but this will be, will form the, the core of the discussion. And why I like this paper is I think it's the first really definitive paper on this concept of additive bias. Interestingly, the paper never, I didn't see the term additive bias, additive being A-D-D-I-T-I-V-E, addition, additive bias. I didn't see that term in this paper explicitly, but if you looked for additive bias on the internet, if you if you did a search for it, that is the same concept that's being described in the paper. But for some reason, they didn't call it additive bias. I suspect, the additive bias, additive bias term came after the fact. So there'll be a few definitions we have to get through very quickly so that we can kind of be on the same page with what's going on with the content in the paper. And it will also help us understand downstream some of the ideas that emerge from this conversation. Now, the first thing we're going to have to define is what a bias is right? We'll define that very quickly. We'll also define what problem solving is because we'll see that additive bias is in the, is often in the context of problem solving. Even if it's in the context of creating something new, you're typically trying to create something that solves a problem or create something that solves a problem better than something else that exists. So we'll talk about problem solving really quickly, lay out the framework for that, and then we'll get to define what additive bias is specifically and then we'll talk about why additive bias probably exists in the first place we'll talk about the conditions for additive bias that is the conditions that under which people tend to exhibit additive bias. We'll talk about the disadvantages of it, obviously. Then we'll talk about how you can overcome additive bias, which essentially means that when you're faced with a problem, you don't default to the additive solution. You consider some other potentially more creative solutions and potentially superior, as we'll see, solutions at the end of it. we'll, We'll also talk very briefly about, we'll talk about how the limitations of 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 not adding so in other words when you should be adding things it's not it's not clear cut but we'll we'll do we'll take a jab at it and see when when that's appropriate so let's start off right away this is going to be this might be a long one so let's start right away with first of all defining what a bias is so what is a bias Um, Often when people think about the term bias, they think about prejudice, right? They think about people being biased against other people. In other words, it's a very human-centered approach, biased against a certain type of individual, maybe based on race, gender, etc., the talking points of the day. But strictly speaking, from a scientific perspective, a bias doesn't have to involve prejudice it may it may involve prejudice absolutely but strictly speaking a bias is simply a tendency to think a certain way the way the academic definition of it is that a bias in psychological terms and it is a tendency It's just a tendency, right? A tendency to respond in a certain way. In other words, to favor a certain approach, a certain response when making some kind of choice. And that choice condition is is very important to understand when it comes to biases. An example is the social proof bias. Most of us, when we are faced with a decision where we don't have enough information, we will tend to go with the majority. That's why Amazon reviews carry so much weight. That's why Sellers on Amazon will sometimes go to rather shady extents, take shady measures to secure reviews because they know when people are shopping on a place like Amazon, where there's just so much, right, so much choice, they will look at the reviews. This product has 70 reviews, mostly positive, some negative. This other product, product has 2000 reviews and they're almost all positive. Well, this one must be better. That's how our brand. Brain, that's one of the biases that our brains and our, as people have toward making a choice about perhaps what to purchase. So that's all the bias is. It can be prejudice, but it doesn't have to be prejudice. It doesn't have to be directed at a person. It can be directed at a thing. Something it can be directed at a concept, an idea. So that's what a bias is. The next thing we need to define is what a problem is is. Well, we all know what a problem is. Specifically, we need to define what problem solving is. How does, how, 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 we define solving a problem specifically the process that we typically go through mentally even if we don't recognize it in an explicit way consciously that that's what we're doing what is the process the cognitive process involved in problem solving this is important because once we understand what the bias is and as such understanding what additive bias is then we understand the process for problem solving then we can see how additive bias fits into your problem solving model your problem solving process with that information then we can really attack additive bias attack at least where it shows up in the process so let's define the process the cognitive process of of problem solving. Reading directly from the paper I quoted earlier, the paper from the University of Virginia, they say the essential elements of of these processes are the mental models, that's number one, mental models of the original state, number two, of possible transformations, and number three, of action categories that produce those transformations. They say the cognitive sciences of problem solving describes this as iterative processes of imagining and evaluating actions and outcomes to determine whether they would produce an improved state. Now, this assumes quite a few things, but here are the three big moves. The three big moves are this. There's a situation. You create a mental model of that situation. You create a mental representation of what an improvement, what's called the transformation would look like. And then you determine the actions that could help produce that improvement. It's your classic kind of mental gap analysis, right? This is where we are. This is where we want to be. And these are the things that we need to do to fill that gap. I'm sure you can think of a lot of examples of this in your own life, your fitness right? It's a very, it's a more, it's a more complicated version of it. It's not as simple as say, how do I open this door? A fitness goal might be it might involve a lot of steps, but it's basically the same thing. You're solving a fitness problem. You have your present state, which may be a degree of weight, a degree of mobility, a degree of strength that is you, you find unacceptable or, or less than ideal. Then you have a future state, a preferred state. Let's call it that, that you want to be at a certain weight, certain strength, certain mobility, etc. And then to solve the problem of your fitness you determine the actions that you need to take that seems to be the three step model or the three the three phase the three component model for problem solving And that's important because now that we know what a bias is, as we've already seen, a tendency to respond one way or the other when making a choice, and we know what a problem-solving model looks like, the identification of a present state, as it were, a future transformational state, and the actions required, now we can talk about why additive bias is so powerful. But before we can decide to define why it's powerful, let's go ahead and define additive bias itself to begin with. So what is additive bias? Additive bias is simply the tendency for people when they're faced with some kind of problem, they default to additive changes as opposed to subtractive changes in solving it. It's really that simple. Most of us, as we'll see later on, we'll look into the data here, most people have this bias we default to adding what's called additive transformations you recall that word from problem solving model we default to additive transformations when we're faced with a problem now why did really all that all that groundwork on bias and problem solving remember that problem solving involves a present state and a transformed state it is in that middle portion the middle portion of selecting your actions, that's where additive bias tends to Show up, that's where it does show up. When you're choosing the ideas you apply, the actions you take to solve the problem, that's where additive bias shows up. And that's important to note, and we will return to that point later on. But let's look at the research around additive bias. And this is a deep dive. We'll talk a little bit about the research. And in this paper that I mentioned earlier, there were a number of experiments, I think eight experiments, I recall, that they took that showed different aspects of additive bias but the one i want to talk about involves legos so in the experiment they gave the participants a task they gave them a a certain lego structure and the task was what can you do to this lego structure to enable it to support a fairly heavy ish brick and the lego structure was set up so that imagine if you had a table that had a four-legged table a rectangular table that had only one leg so it was set up Pretty much like that. So it was a a square base or a rectangular base, but it had one leg. And when they gave them the instructions, I mean, you and I now listening to this, knowing that we're talking about additive bias, it's kind of obvious, isn't it, to us that, yeah, the easiest way to make this thing stable is to just take out one leg. And then you'd have a flat base and it would support the brick perfectly. But. In spite of how that seems obvious to you and I, because this is a conversation about additive bias, 41% of the participants, only, only 41% of the participants chose the subtractive route, the subtractive um, strategy. That's less than half. So that means over half of the participants Still, I'm guessing the the, the 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 paper didn't detail it, but I'm guessing they were trying to add three more legs to it, as opposed to just, you know, take out the leg that was making it unstable. But there is a bit of a twist to the story. And this was a stroke of genius, I think, on the part of the researchers. They were very careful about how they communicated the task to them. And this is interesting. So... The whole, the goal itself, I should say, was going to earn them one dollar. If they succeeded in completing the task, they would earn a dollar. Not a lot of money, but you'll see why that number is relevant in a second. they had two groups. In one group, in both groups, actually, each support they added was going to cost 10 cents. It was going to cost 10 cents, but removing supports was free. There was no cost for removing them. But here's where the two groups differed. In one group, they didn't mention that removing a support was free. They simply communicated that adding structures would cost 10 cents each. That's the first group. In the second group, they explicitly mentioned that adding structures costs 10 cents a structure, but removal is free. This was a really clever move on the part of the researchers to see how they called it the Q, right? If there was a subtraction Q versus the group without a subtraction Q, how much of a difference would it make in their approach to solving the problem? And the results were quite telling. So in the subtraction Q condition, 61% chose the subtraction approach. But in the group that did not have a subtraction queue, that's the group that were simply told it's going to cost you 10 cents per structure, only 41% did. So less than half, less than half of the participants had it occurred to them to simply remove the one block. But remember, they were not queued verbally in the instructions to do so. But you would think, right, that even if it costs 10 cents to remove a structure, even though they weren't told that, it's still cheaper, regardless, to remove one structure 10 cents and keep 90 cents than to add three more and and lose 30 cents. It sounds so obvious, right? But this is a testament, again, to our tendency to opt for adding. Took, they took one look at that thing and I thought, oh, I, I know what's going on there. It needs three more legs, as opposed to thinking it needs one less leg. And that I think is really telling on how we tend to default to additive transformation. So that's the most, that was one of the most interesting parts of the experiment. And I think it shows how, how much this is perhaps hardwired somewhat into our psyche. And speaking of that, let's talk about some of the reasons why potentially why we have additive bias in the first place. And the paper suggests a few of them. So let's talk about those. Okay. Why do we potentially have additive bias uh, at all? In the paper, they say that there are cognitive, cultural, and socio-ecological reasons to suspect that people might opt for additive transformations over subtractive changes. And there are three specifically. Number one, they suggest that, you know. Additive changes may be easier to process, right? It's easier to just add something and fix a problem than it is to remove something. And this is something they attribute to the fact that before you can remove something, you first of all, have to understand now what it is. First of all, have to understand what it is. And this is a really important point for me. This is one of the subtle but powerful lessons, insights that I got out of this study of additive bias is you often think about what we like on this podcast, doing more by doing less. We think about it. A lot of people think about it as lazy. They think about it as laziness, a way to to just not do more stuff which it is but it's not a bad laziness if you're interested about good laziness and bad laziness i have an episode on virtuous laziness and its relationship to doing more by doing less and maybe i'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure so you can check that out but what we see with this tendency for additive bias is that it's actually less cognitively demanding to just add something to fix a problem. I'll give you an example. So say you were riding a bicycle. Say you were you owned the bicycle and you use that bicycle to commute to work. You put a lot of stuff in the bicycle and some stuff you carry around with you on the bicycle, but the bicycle gets heavy. And so it, it takes a lot of work to pedal the bicycle on the way to work. And you identify this as a problem. Now, for most people, they would think, oh, what can I add to the bicycle to make it more efficient? How can I maybe add some mechanism to the gear system? Perhaps take it to to someone to get it to 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 be easier to pedal. Maybe increase the efficiency of the gears by adding something, all that jazz. But would you consider just reducing how much stuff you took to work? Like just paring down on the stuff you don't need. Maybe if you don't have to take a laptop to work, the, the laptop, the bike wouldn't be so heavy and all that. Could you just take something away to make the bike work better? A lot of us wouldn't think in that regard, but that's because you first of all have to understand what is necessary and what isn't. So you see now that doing more by doing less, instead of being lazy, often requires you to think deeper, to have a deeper understanding of the system that you're looking at before you can subtract anything. This reminds me of... Chesterton's Fence GK Chesterton Gilbert 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 Keith Chesterton was an English writer and philosopher who lived in the late 19th century into the early 20th century so the 1870s into like the early 1930s and DK Chesterton um Had a very interesting analogy. What's come to be known today as Chesterton's fence. I remember finding out, I actually learned about G.K. Chesterton while I was studying a completely different subject. And this excellent book called a hunter gatherer's guide to the 21st century fantastic book if you haven't read it check it out it doesn't really talk about doing more by doing less but it's a good book nonetheless and i credit my my discovery of chesterton to reading that book chesterton's fence is best described in a a short little story so the legend goes that there was an old philosopher and a young philosopher and they were walking down the street and they found a fence in the middle of a road and the young philosopher said let's get rid of this fence it is in the way the old philosopher says what's the fence for the young philosopher says i don't know then the old philosopher says until you can tell me what it's for you are not permitted to touch the fence and that is really the concept of subtraction isn't it before you can subtract something you have to know Ideally, before you can subtract something intelligently, you have to know what it's there for. This is an example of second order thinking, and it's it makes a strong case for why doing less to do more is actually contrary to being lazy. It requires a deeper level of understanding and thinking. So first order thinking is very simple. Action, consequence, done. That's first order thinking the next degree of thinking is this action consequence consequence of consequence so it's a much deeper level much more cognitively demanding level and this issue of cognitive demand we will come back to when we get into the conditions right under which additive bias tends to really show up but let's finish up this thought here on why perhaps we have additive bias It seems to be in part, at least because it is easier to add something at which point you're working with first order thinking than it is to subtract something. Because subtracting something means that you have to understand why it was there in the first place and the consequences and the consequences of the consequences of removing it. Let's, let's say I have a practical example. So let's say, for example, you work in an, in an organization. This is particularly common in heavily siloed organizations as well. But we'll talk about silos and maybe in a different episode. But let's say you work in an organization where there are certain processes you have to perform, maybe certain forms you have to fill. And when you look at your process, filling those forms feels like an absolute waste of your time. But then when you've stopped filling the form, maybe there's somebody downstream who depends on those forms to be able to do their job. So first order thinking says, if I just stop filling this form, I'm done. But to truly subtract intelligently, you have to understand why the forms exist in the first place why do the forms exist in the first place and when you can establish that the forms exist but the value they add is little or negligible or maybe the forms are just a relic from an old process then you've gone through the pain really of second order thinking maybe you even have to you have to investigate to be able to make the the decision to stop filling those forms But again, as we have seen, that is much more difficult than maybe adding something and adding something might be finding a way to automate filling the form. Maybe when you're doing your work, there's a software, a little piece of code you can write, say, for example, that auto populates that form. But if that form was not adding value to begin with, that's an additive solution that really doesn't add value. Okay. So let's talk now about the second reason why, according to the paper, at least, why additive bias might be a thing. Additive bias tends to, over time, become viewed more positively. And this one I found interesting. This this one I found interesting because they go on to say numerical concepts of more and higher may map mentally to um, positive and better. In other words, it's just a case of, Believing that more is more. This was interesting. So we have additive bias because we believe more is more. And it, it's kind of circular, isn't it? But if you think about how we evolve culturally, right? Having more money is good in general. More clothes, more friends, more influence. Just we, we, accumulate, we, we, we tend to associate more with better, And maybe that's why this additive bias. So if we can just add something to it, we tend, it seems that we have that psychological bent to just adding more. I don't want to flog this issue too much. I'm pretty sure it's clear to us. Once you just give it a little bit of thought, you can see how that can be a thing. This idea that adding more, just more is more. And the third reason or third hypothesis, if you will, for why there might be additive bias is that people might be reluctant to subtract because of the attentional processes that favor the status quo. They didn't explicitly use that term here, but I have heard of the status quo bias where people tend to want to just leave things alone. But see again here, that language, and I'm quoting from the paper directly. People might be reluctant to subtract because of, listen to this, attentional and evaluative processes that favor the status quo. Again, we come to this concept of cognitive load of 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 thinking. Right? It's it's easier, and attentionally, it's just easy to just leave things the way they are. Why subtract? Which sometimes leaving well enough alone is good, but sometimes well enough is not well enough in the long run but again that's a different conversation but these are the three so far talked about incremental changes might be easier to process because as i said they lean on first order thinking talked about numerical concepts of more mapping to better and higher third people might be reluctant because of what i'm simply calling status quo bias and then finally it might just be A relic of design, going back to the example of filling in those forms, if you have a structure, an organizational structure that puts people in silos and doesn't really facilitate free flow of information, it might be structurally difficult to do what it takes, i.e. investigate and understand the the roles and and the value add of certain things that we're doing. It might be incredibly difficult to get that information so that it might just be easier. Honestly, again, coming back to easier, but not just easier because you don't want to do the work mentally, but easier structurally to just write that code that auto-populates that form, as opposed to going through what it takes to figure out the value of that form. And the other wrinkle in the fabric of this is that the more we use a strategy with success, whatever success looks like, it might not be the best solution, but if it produces the effect we want, we tend to default to that often. We tend to go back to that, that process, that, that pattern over and over and over again, so that if we've used additive transformations in the past with success, we tend to just go back to it as our default setting. And it's rare that it won't give us something. It'll probably give us something, but it may not give us the optimum result that we're actually after. Not unlike the Lego experiment, the, the people who added things did end up with a balanced base for a brick, but it cost them more and it probably took more time. So it was indeed an inferior solution, an inferior path, if you will, an inferior action to reach, to reach the same transformation, which was a stable base. So, quick recap the four reasons presented in the paper for why additive bias might exist is number one, it's easier to add something cognitively than it is to try to understand the system enough to be able to subtract anything. Number two, socially, culturally, perhaps even evolutionarily, we have a tendency to map more to higher or better. Number three, is simply what we'll call status quo bias. And number four is structural arrangements that favor additive bias, which in turn means that the more we perform additive transformations with some success, we tend to go back to them over and over and over again and start to overlook potentially superior solutions that involve subtraction. To quote from the paper directly, quote, as with any mental shortcut, heuristic memory searches can be overapplied, applied leading people to accept adequate solutions before considering potentially superior alternatives, end quote. Now that we've talked about why we may have additive bias as part of our makeup, it's worth taking just a little bit of time to understand the true cost. All the true consequences of additive bias as a way of solving problems by default. And we'll, let's break that up into a few quick headings. The first heading I want to talk about is what I call complexity creep complexity creep similar to scope creep in project management where you you're perhaps tasked to complete a certain project and then over time that project starts to expand and expand and expand and expand in the coaching world we call that the oh while you're here thing right coaches hate that when you've been when you've been Contracted to help with a certain aspect of a person's or or department's performance. And they say, like, oh, while you're here, could you also help improve this process oh, while you're here? Could you also, I don't know, mow the lawn or <laughs> something stupid like that? Uh, so scope creep does happen and you have to guard against it very diligently. Most times people don't mean it negatively, but it does happen. And so it is a thing scope creep where the scope of a project starts to creep and get bigger and bigger. So that's similar to what I call complexity creep. You see, there's a very real consequence, a very real downside disadvantage to constantly adding things. And this applies to your life as well. And that's why I think it's worth that we pay attention to additive bias. Every step you add, adds complexity. And sometimes you can't get away from complexity, right? I'm not I'm not advocate advocating that we make things simple for the sake of simplicity itself, but I am advocating that we don't make things more complicated than they need to be to deliver the, the goal or the value that we're trying to deliver. Every step, every process, every element, every component you add to something makes it more complex. Oh, what's wrong with complex? What's wrong with complexity? Nothing inherently is wrong with complexity, but the more complex a system is, the more difficult it is to tweak, to optimize, to repair. Think about the human body. It's so complex. We have all these systems that are operating and then interoperating such that if you change something on one site, you don't know how it's going to affect another site. Like it's a marvel that medical science has come as far as it has. And then you, you think about even the psychosomatic layer of being a human being. Like There's just so much complexity that makes it difficult to really predict how a human being is going to behave at any point in time and it's virtually impossible really to predict with certainty how a human being is going to behave. I say that to make the point that the more complex a system becomes, the more difficult it is to predict, the more difficult it is to control. That's why you don't want to continue to add things to increase complexity. It's better to move in the direction of simplicity, which often means removing things so that there are fewer interactions fewer opportunities for complexity to take over and to reduce your ability to to optimize the system, as it were. So that is one very obvious disadvantage. I mean, even in the paper, they hint at it. They They don't explicitly say it in those terms that I've said. They don't call it scope creep or anything. But they did mention right in the abstract, and I quote, Defaulting to searches for additive changes may be one reason that people struggle to mitigate overburdened schedules, institutional red tape, and damaging effects on the planet, end quote. So they recognize that additive transformations, the, the, the bias toward constantly adding things is doing some degree of harm on both the individual level and they go as far as even saying on the planet overall. And I can definitely relate with the institutional red tape example. One of my first, or I should say one of my most memorable encounters with additive bias and the complexity creep is a process improvement project that I took part in for a post-secondary institution here in in Canada. And in that, in the analysis, um, we found out that the process had gotten way out of control in the level of complexity that it had there was a lot of red tape there were so many approvals and approvals of approvals and all this happened as complexity creep every time somebody said oh i i need i need to know when that happens they added an approval for that particular layer of that particular office and that happened over and over and over again and because of that these people had their own processes that they had to incorporate and It just led to a huge mess. By the time we had gone through the process of determining, again, second order thinking that we had to do over the course of three days, we realized that about 70 or so percent of the steps were completely unnecessary. By adding and adding and adding, they increased the complexity of the system. They had increased the complexity of the software to the point where the the vendor could no longer support the software because they had altered the software to accommodate this level of complexity so much. And it was just a pain in the butt for everybody involved in this particular process. And by eliminating all of those unnecessary steps, the efficiency of the process increased by 40%. That is 4-0. So additive bias does have its consequences, and not the least of those is complexity creep. That was the first one. The second one is related to complexity creep, but it talks really about Resource consumption. The more things you have to do, the more resources you'll need. And I won't spend as much time on this because we spend quite a bit of time, I find out. I just realized on the complexity creep one, but that's a big one. But keep in mind that every time you add something, you need resources to add it. You need resources to maintain it. Often removing things not only reduces complexity, it tends to reduce cost as well. If you made fewer products and focused on the products that were profitable, you would be making more profit per unit of resource that you applied. So that's a simple one. That's a, that's a fairly straightforward one. I invite you to consider your own personal life, your own business. What are the ways in which you have systematically added things, perhaps even unconsciously, that's, that has led to increased complexity and increased cost of producing value? for you as an individual or for your business? What are the things that you could get rid of today that really wouldn't make a difference in how much value you're creating? Can you start to get rid of them? Get rid of the complexity creep, reduce the complexity and get rid of the waste that is coming from the resources that every additive change has produced. So now that we understand the cost of additive bias and additive transformations in general, favoring additive transformations in general, what are the conditions under which additive transformations tend to prevail over potentially superior subtractive transformations? In other words, what are the conditions under which you are more likely to default to an additive uh, solution, an additive choice. And remember our problem solving model, current state, transformational state and actions. What are the conditions that favor you picking additive transformations as over again, potentially superior subtractive ones, the biggest one. And that's the one we'll talk about here is just difficulty. The more difficult a problem is mentally, the more demanding on your mind or your mental abilities, the more cognitive load a a, a problem has. Or let's be specific, the more cognitive load you are bearing. That's the more accurate definition, as we'll see in a second. The more cognitive load you are bearing the more likely you are to just pick an easy shortcut, which we've seen additive bias is a shortcut, to fix it. But why did I make the distinction between the cognitive load of the problem and the cognitive load that you're bearing? This is important. A problem might not be necessarily difficult. But if you have a lot on your mind, you are cognitively loaded, you're dealing with a bazillion things, like the paper mentioned, your schedule has become overburdened, it's probable that you will pick the easiest solution you can think of, which is often an additive solution. Hire someone, buy a new piece of software, buy a new piece of hardware, just add something to solve this problem because you you don't, you just don't have the space. As as they say, you don't have the bandwidth to to do the second order thinking necessary to consider a subtractive change. Or you just are, are so trained in additive transformations, which as we've seen is one of the reasons why we have this to begin with, that it just doesn't occur to you to do a subtractive change. And that's why you opt for that. That's the cognitive load you're bearing. But then there's a cognitive load that this problem itself has. If it's a difficult issue, then understanding it is just that much more difficult. You can't subtract from a system that you don't understand. Remember Chesterton's fence. So the probability that you will just add something to it so you can just move on with your life because it's such a difficult problem is also high. So here's the key. Under these two conditions, you have to be super alert to the solutions you produce. First condition is a difficult problem, second condition is you being highly cognitively loaded the busier you are the more stuff you have on the go the more things you have to deal with whether personally or professionally the less likely it is that you will even consider or conceive subtractive changes you're more likely to default to the natural tendency to just add something as a means of solving that problem So what can you do? What can you do to help you uh, overcome additive bias and come up with potentially more creative, potentially superior solutions that involve not addition, but subtraction? I think this is a good note on which to start to wrap up this episode. And the answer is actually embedded in that example we started with the experiment we started with which was the experiment with the legos remember in that experiment we talked about how in the group that it was explicitly stated that subtractions are free Additions to the structure cost ten cents each, but subtractions are free. Remember that one? Sixty one percent, right, opted for the subtracted subtractive transformation. The Q, it seems, makes all the difference. If you have a cue in place, some kind of a way to remind yourself, which is this episode is a powerful cue, but you will forget about this episode, right? Unless you listen to it over and over and over again, you will forget about it after a while. What's better is to imbibe the habit of considering subtractive changes on purpose. If you run a business, can you write it into your processes? Like step three, consider removing something. It's really, it sounds silly, but that's the best way, as we've seen from the research, to combat this bias. That's actually the best way to combat any bias. As, as, as if you've studied biases, for example, confirmation bias, where you've heard something about someone or about something, and then the rest of... Your interactions with that thing are influenced by that such that you begin to literally see evidence of what you've already believed. So if you believe that maybe you walked into an office and you were told, oh man, that guy is such a grouch, avoid him. Then your confirmation bias makes you notice and weight the evidence that confirms that that person is a grouch. You literally notice more times when the person acts like a grouch than you do when they don't. So the answer to confirmation bias is intentionally seek out contradictory information, contradictory evidence. And once you start seeking that out, you might realize that person is not a grouch. Maybe the person was mean to the person who told you they were a grouch one time and that person formed that opinion about them, right? This isn't about confirmation bias, but it is intended to show how the best way to overcome biases in general is to consciously seek contradictory evidence. So you might want to cue yourself on purpose as a means of overcoming additive bias to maybe consciously seek contradictory evidence, contradictory examples of when subtractive changes had helped your company or helped you, and then create cues for yourself in the the course of problem solving that reminds you, hey, consider taking something Away because taking something away from something can be just as powerful, even more powerful than adding something in a bid to improve it, in a bit to improve and create more value. And that goes for you as an individual, and it also goes for businesses and companies. Like the quote, the famous quote from Antoine de Saint Exupéry goes. In anything at all, perfection is finally attained, not when there is no longer anything to add, but when there is no longer anything to take away. That brings us to the end of this episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you take what is in here and you go use it. And until the next episode, remember, it's not what you know that matters, but what you do with what you know. Take care. Have a productive week. Bye for
1: now. Thank you for listening to 80-20 Productivity. If you enjoy the show, then subscribe so that you don't miss any episodes. And if you'd like to learn about how Anthony can help you or your organization drive gains through smart, focused productivity, then head over to anthonysani.com. Until the next episode, stay true to your vital few.